So that was the opening music to Pinewood Studios' Brief Encounter, released in 1945. And I'm Matt Johnson. And I'm Bob Johnson, and we welcome you back to Classic Movie Reviews. And you can find us on the web at classicmoviereviews.net and on iTunes, just search for Classic Movie Reviews. And we're talking about a movie that was suggested by one of our listeners, so thank you for the suggestion. And if anybody else has a suggestion, you can leave a comment on our website, and we'll do our best to queue it up and and uh, do a review. What do you think of the movie? Overall? Well, I, I I enjoy the movie a great a great deal. It's uh, it's simple and straightforward and yet complex. For 1945, I imagine it was a a bit of a controversial movie since both the uh, man and the woman are married to other people. I did some background on the movie. It was uh, written by and produced by Noel Coward, and uh, Mr. Coward did a lot of comedies and a couple of patriotic war films during World War II, and the movie is based on his play from 1936 called Still Life, and uh, I was I was interested in the director, David Lean, and I looked up uh, just a few of the movies that he's done in his career, that he did in his career. He was quite prolific Lawrence of Arabia, Dr. Zhivago, Passage to India, Great Expectations. He was making movies from the mid 1940s until the mid 1980s. Wow. Quite a quite a That's uh, that's a, that's kind of a superstar list of movies. I mean, all it really those are is. really classic classic it movies. It really is. And this film uh won the uh, shared the a prize at the uh, Cannes Con Film Festival in 1946, and uh, the lead uh, actress, Celia Johnson, was nominated for an Academy Award as Best Actress in 1947 because the film was not released in the United States until 1946. So and you, and you were saying that, that it, was, it was actually filmed in 1944. It was actually filmed during the war, even though it was released after. It it was. I, I was reading where they uh, got permission to film it in an area of uh, the United Kingdom that wasn't being attacked by those rockets or it didn't have the threat of being attacked. So they used some train station uh, scenes and lo- a location that would be out of the war zone. It's interesting because I don't. they don't make any reference to the war in the movie itself. It's totally like its own little world. I think it may be because he did it from a 1936 play, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But, it, you know, but some of these movies that ha- uh, were filmed during that time seem to be so influenced by the war. But this one, not not at all, I don't think. I mean, not not in any kind of an overt way that I could tell. I Yeah, if you watched it and didn't know what the date was on it, I don't think, uh, at least I wouldn't know when it, what it was, what period of time it was filmed in. You were saying you like the music too. Oh yeah, I always, you know, I always uh, listen in for the music to see how it fits. Um, it's really beautiful. It's um, it's a piano concerto by Sergei Rachmaninoff. I also, I, I'm just kind of, you know, sort of taking it from the beginning of the film. When it opens up, 
the opening scenes and the credits really set the mood for the film. It almost seems to me like it's a film noir movie with some mystery behind it, which I guess there was with the uh, with the romance. But the train at night, the music, the black and white film, I really love the, the opening uh, uh, of the film. It really, to me, set the mood for a really dramatic and uh, sad and yet upbeat at the end uh, movie. Yeah, I like the opening of it as well, and and the way that that train like zooms right past the camera, it looked like it was going about two hundred miles an hour. Uh, the way they filmed it, it was it was interesting how I think most of the movie is set as a flashback, as she is kind of talking to her husband, but really just talking to herself, as if she were having a conversation with her husband that she knows that she can never have even even when they're old and past the passions of their younger life she knows that she couldn't tell him even then Fred Fred dear Fred there's so much that I want to say to you you're the only one in the world with enough wisdom and gentleness to understand. If only it were somebody else's story and not mine. As it is, you're the only one in the world that I can never tell. Never, never. Because even if I waited until we were old, old people and told you then, you'd be bound to look back over the years and be hurt. And, oh, my dear, I don't want you to be hurt. You see... We're a happily married couple and must never forget that. This is my home. You're my husband and my children are upstairs in bed. I'm a happily married woman. Or rather, I was until a few weeks ago. I thought that was a great way to, to tell the story, yeah. At, at first, I wasn't sure if I was going to like the uh, the narration but once I kind of got into the story, I thought it was a good device to set the set the scene, and and I, I was okay with it. Yeah, it was it was good. I uh, I had another note sort of related to that same feeling that you had. I enjoyed the pace of the story, and it seems both simple and straightforward, but yet complex because of the marriage aspects of the two people. But it's it's such a very well done love story with a sad ending, but a but an upbeat closing. It was kind. Of, yeah, I was sort of like, wow, <laughs> it's a great story. But I have to remember here that they're both married to other people. Yeah, if 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 it was just two people meeting and falling in love, it would just be a really simple love story. But you could tell right from the opening scenes when they're sitting at that little tea room, uh, the little uh, what's it called, the refreshment. The refreshment bar. The refreshment bar. Yeah, I think it's called the refreshment bar. And they're just kind of talking quietly to themselves. And then a, a woman walks in and sits down and starts talking with them. And they give each other these looks like, oh, you know. It's her. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, I, you know, and I didn't know what those looks meant at first. But it kind of circles back at the end of the movie to that scene. And the scene takes on a whole lot more weight uh, in the second viewing of it, once you know all, you know what these two people have been through, you know that. So that's I think the complexity of the movie, and so much of the 
the emotion and the acting is is just the looks that they give each other or little ways that they interact with each other. It's 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 really well done in in terms of the directing. And and also the dialogue is so is so uh, crisp. I guess is a good way to put it. I uh, I also thought that the way they presented uh, uh, Celia Johnson as Laura Jessen in the movie, the way they portrayed her husband, Fred, played by Cyril Raymond, I thought made him out to be, an, you know, an okay guy. It, it, could, it seemed like they had gotten awfully used to one another in their marriage and settled in their way. But he, he wasn't portrayed as some bad person that no one would like. Yeah, that's that's a good point. There was nothing about him that was offensive. He seemed like a, a, a good dad. He seemed like he was probably there as much as he could be. I mean, we only ever see him kind of around the house, so we, we don't know what kind of work he does or how often he's gone. Uh, but we, we, do, we do find out that she goes into town at least once a week to do some shopping and, and watch a movie, and that that's kind of a regular thing for her. And and that's when they that's when she ends up meeting uh, Dr. Alec Harvey, played by Trevor Howard. I, I read a, a little thing that Celia Johnson wasn't too happy with having Trevor Howard cast in that role because he was kind of an inexperienced actor, and she felt like she was going to have to do a lot of work in coaching him or, you know, kind of carrying the weight of the of the film. But uh, it, it turns out that he did a really good job. I thought. I I would agree, and he sure went on to have a successful career over many decades actually uh in all kinds of roles it, it, a lot of times he played sort of adventure type characters and that sort of thing and i guess he was kind of a hard drinker and partier and didn't understand uh the one scene when they get to his friend's apartment why they're just kind of sitting there in front of the fire and he he, he was like well why don't they just get on with it and the director <laughs> The director had to explain that that's not that's not how the story goes. It wouldn't yeah, there's it a, wouldn't there's fit. A lot, of, a lot of discussion about why the movie took the took the uh, tact that it did, and that they didn't actually have a, an affair sexually. But uh, I enjoyed reading about what uh, people thought Noel Coward was trying to say there that he was playing the the movie toward the middle class values, and that. Neither character was real willing to uh, to make that that kind of ultimate step uh, in their in their relationship. Yeah, there's a. I definitely want to get to a couple scenes specifically, but just as we're talking about the movie in general, that was the hardest part for me to get on board with. Was you know what was the impetus for her to pursue him, and I, and he pursued her as well. So it wasn't just on her. It, it was mainly focused on her and her side of the story. Yeah, you meant you mentioned that in your in your notes. And I thought, and you know, I, I was trying. I was really yeah. trying to wrap my head around. I guess, like you said, that her and her husband had kind of grown to a place in their marriage where they were bored a little bit with each other, and she had these trips into town that were kind of a regular thing, and. And for all we know, maybe he he was gone a lot. We we don't know really anything about her husband. And maybe she was just looking for a little bit of that uh, excitement in her life that that she found with uh, with Alec. I, I don't think I think one of the reasons that they didn't go all the way with the affair and that it was more just in their in their minds and they they ki they did kiss and they were 
holding hands and hugging and whatnot. But so I, I still think that that technically she cheated on her husband in that way. But I th I think that every time she had to tell a little white lie about where she was or what she was doing, you could tell that it was just killing her. And yes, and I think that she realized that she just couldn't live with herself if she if she did anything more than what they'd done. It would it just she couldn't go on with her life. So I think she did come around at the end, like you said, to that realization. And and so I did I did like that. They they did a good job. The actors and the director and cinematographer and the the music really helped to kind of take you on this journey with the two of them about what it would be like to fall in love even if you were married. Even though I, I found it hard to get on board with, you know, some some of the reasons why that might happen. I would I would agree with that. I uh I do think though that it makes it made me think about, you know, why why is this going on? It kinda added another dimension to the movie because I had to sort of figure out why they were attracted to each other and what was going on outside of the scenes that we saw. And it was also a little bit more difficult for me just based on some experiences in my own life. You know, on a, on a lighter note, I love the scene where they went to the movie and they're sitting there watching these previews of a coming attraction that look like <laughs> Hong Kong, uh, King Kong or Tarzan. And then, and then there's an ad for a baby carriage. <laughs> that was a, that was kind of, that was kind of a, an unusual ad and then they well, and, I, and i was apart. surprised that they had ads back then they had they actually had all these previews and they had like a little musical show beforehand and then they had these ads and and that was a surprise to me so part of the the enjoyment for me was just seeing kind of their day-to-day -day life and and that was really interesting i remember as a kid back going to the movies on saturday as you know when i was eight or ten years old and in the theaters in my hometown they would run those ads like you know elmer's jewelry or yeah. whatever you, you, you bought space uh on the screen well they do that here in, in our little town at the local movie theater they run ads for businesses in town so it's kind of the same thing you know what i thought was funny was when it was right at the beginning and alec had left and Lara had to get on the train to go home. And that one woman that was with them who just would not stop talking, got on the train with, with Lara and, and Lara was saying in her, in her head, well, this is a bit of luck. This train's generally packed. I really am very worried about you, dear. You look terribly peaky. I'm all right. Really. I am. I just felt faint for a minute. That's all. Nothing happens to me. I did it once in the middle of Bobby's school concert. I don't think he's ever forgiven me. <laughs> Well, he certainly was very good-looking. Who? Well, your friend, Dr. whatever his name was. Yes, he's a nice creature. Have you known him long? No, not very long. I hardly know him at all, really. Well, my dear, I've always had a passion for doctors. I can well understand how it is that women get neurotic. Of course, some of them don't... I wish I could trust you. I wish you were a wise, kind friend. Instead of a gossiping acquaintance I've known casually for years and never particularly cared for. I wish. I wish. Fancy him going all the way to Africa. Is he married? Oh, yes. Any children? Yes, two boys. He's very proud of them. Is he taking them with him, his wife and children, I mean? Yes, yes, he is. Oh, I suppose it's sensible in a way, rushing off to start life anew in the wide open spaces and all that sort of thing, but <laughs> wild horses wouldn't drag me away from England and home and all the things I'm used to. I mean... 
One has one's roots, after all, hasn't one? Oh, yes, one has one's roots. I knew a girl years ago who went to Africa, you know. Her husband was something to do with engineering or something. And, my dear, she had the most dreadful time. She got some awful kind of germ through going out on a picnic and she was ill for months and months. I wish you'd stop talking. I wish you'd stop crying and trying to find things out. I wish you were dead. No, I don't mean that. That was silly and unkind. But I wish you'd stop talking. My dear, all her hair came out, and she said the social life was quite, quite horrid. Would you please just stop talking? Just please. I, I wish you were dead. No, I don't, I don't mean that. But I just wish you would stop talking. <laughs> you know, she couldn't deal with the... Well, I don't blame her. The woman was nonstop. I think we've all been in those situations where oh. we're just like, oh, God, I can't no take kidding. any more of this. A, a, another scene that I thought was really enjoyable was when they went canoeing on the lake and it was i think it was winter time because the, the boats like were all winter. put away and the the guy the caretaker was like okay if you want to take a boat out but so they go out and he's in his suit and he's never done this before and it was a lovely afternoon there were some little boys sailing their boats one of them looked awfully like bobby that should have given me a pang of conscience i know but it didn't i was enjoying myself enjoying every single minute Alex suddenly said that he was sick of staring at the water and that he wanted to be on it. All the boats were covered up, but we managed to persuade the old man to let us have one. He thought we were raving mad. Perhaps he was right. Alec rowed off at a great rate, and I trailed my hand in the water. It was very cold, but a lovely feeling. <laughs> you don't row very well, do you? I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I don't row at all. And unless you want to go round and round in ever-narrowing circles, you'd better start steering. And uh, they end up with him, well, he can't stop the boat or get it turned around, so he's holding on to this bridge, and then he falls in the water. Yeah. <laughs> and the water was about two feet deep. It wasn't like a, a very deep lake. And it looked like it was really cold. But I, I enjoyed that. There, it wasn't well, that just... leads into another scene that I liked, which was they're in the boathouse drying off his clothes. Yes. And he professes that... You know what's happened, don't you? Yes. Yes, I do. I've fallen in love with you. Yes, I know. Tell me honestly, please tell me honestly if what I believe is true. What do you believe? That it's the same with you, that you've fallen in love too. Sounds so silly. Why? I know you so little. It is true though, isn't it? Yes, it's true. Laura. No, please. We must be sensible. Please help me to be sensible. We mustn't behave like this. We must forget that we've said what we've said. Not yet, not quite yet. But we must, don't you see? Listen, it's too late now to be as sensible as all that. It's too late to forget what we said. And anyway, whether we'd said it or not couldn't have mattered. We know. We've both of us known for a long time. How can you say that? I've only known you for four weeks. We only talked for the first time last Thursday week. Last Thursday week. Has it been a long time for you since then? Answer me truly. Yes. How often did you decide that you were never going to see me again? Several times a day. So did I. <laughs> I love you. 
I love your wide eyes, the way you smile, and your shyness, and the way you laugh at my jokes. Please don't. I love you. I love you. You love me too. It's no use pretending it hasn't happened, because it has. Yes, it has. I don't want to pretend anything either to you or to anyone else. But from now on, I shall have to. That's what's wrong, don't you see? That's what spoils everything. That's why we must stop here and now talking like this. We're neither of us free to love each other. There's too much in the way. There's still time. If we control ourselves, behave like sensible human beings. There's still time. <laughs> and the struggle that she goes through to kind of admit that to him, uh, that was a pretty powerful scene. I think it's that kind of a scene that uh, won her the nomination for the Academy Award. She just did a really good job. That was a good scene. Um, it, it just seemed so natural. And the dialogue is also very natural to me. And I bet it was really unpleasant to be in a wet wool suit in the wintertime in the suburbs of London. Man, oh man. I'm surprised he didn't catch cold. Yeah. Another. This is another kind of a. This is not very linear, but I enjoyed the. I enjoyed the uh, scenes in the tea room at the railroad station, and one of the interesting characters to me was Stanley Holloway. As uh, he played the, uh, I think his name was Albert Godby. He was kind of the station master, or I don't know if he was also security. He was He's kind like a of ticket all taker over the place. or something. Yeah. And he was trying to romance the lady behind the counter. At the she was room. hilarious. I got a kick out of her. <laughs> yeah. She she was the master of playing hard to get. Evening, Mr. Gobby. Hello, hello, hello. Quite a stranger, aren't you? I couldn't get in yesterday. I wondered what had happened to you. I had a bit of a dust-up. What about? Saw a chap getting out of a first-class compartment. When he came to give up his ticket, it was only third class. I told him he had to pay the excess, and then he turned nasty, and I had to send for Mr. Saunders. That lot of good he'd be. Oh, he ticked him off. Seeing's believing. I tell you, he ticked him off proper. You pay the balance at once, he says, or I'll hand you over to the police. You ought to seen the look on the chap's face at the mention of the word police. <laughs> Changed his tune, then he did, paid up like lightning. That's just what I mean. He didn't have the courage to handle it himself. He had to call in the police. Oh, he's not a bad lot, Mr. Saunders. After all, he can't expect much spirit from a man with only one lung and a wife with diabetes. I thought something must be wrong when you didn't come. Well, I'd have popped in to explain, but I had a date and had a run for it the moment I went off. Oh, indeed. Chap I know is getting married. Very interesting, I'm sure. What's up with you, anyway? I'm sure I don't know to what you're referring. You're a bit unfriendly all of a sudden. Beryl, hurry up. Put some more coal on the stove while you're at it. Yes, Mrs. I'm afraid I really can't stand here wasting my time in idle gossip, Mr. Godby. Well, aren't you going to offer me another cup? You can have another cup and welcome when you finish that one. Better I'll give it to you. I've got my accounts to do. I say, I'd rather you gave it to me. Time and tide, weak for no man, Mr. Godby. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Uh, so that was, it was just a, a series of really pleasant, simple, well-done scenes with a very complex story and the poor lady, uh, Laura Jessen, Celia Johnson's character, must have been really, really in pain trying to figure out what was going on and what was she going to do. And she had a son and a husband. And They had a son and a daughter, I think. Was there a daughter too? Okay. And, you know, as I'm thinking about it now, it, it, it kind of snuck, I guess it kind of snuck up on her. Like the first scene where they meet and she's got that 
that grit in her eye from the train passing by. And then uh, Trevor Howard comes in and, and says, well, I'm a doctor. Let me help you. And, and, you know, and then he just leaves and, and you don't really get a sense that any sparks flew there. She was just kind of interested in him and he was really nice. And then they see each other again and it's kind of these uh, chance meetings at first. And then they start kind of planning to meet. And, and I right. still, and I still think, at that point, because they, they planned to meet, I think, for lunch or something at that one restaurant where they had the live music and they were making fun of the one uh, cellist <laughs> or music, yeah. yeah or organist or something. She was. Well, she was both. She was in the restaurant and then they went to the movie theater. And, and she, she was, was at the movie the theater. Yeah. But I, I think and... it kind of over the course of several weeks or, or or maybe a couple months that she found herself in a place where she had these feelings for him. And it's not like she was out looking for an affair, but I think once that she got to that place where she had those feelings, that she was really conflicted. Very much so. Uh, and he was too, because uh, he was married and he wasn't quite sure what was going on. And then when they decided that they would meet as, at his friend's apartment, and then that fell apart because his friend came home early, that that was a well-done scene between him and, and the fella that, had the apartment, who was, by the way, rather judgmental. Quickly, quickly, I must go. Here, through the kitchen. There's a tradesman's staircase. Is that you, Alec? Yes. You're back early. Yes, I found a cold coming on, so I denied myself the always questionable pleasure of dining with that arch-arguer, Roger Hinchley, decided to come back to bed. Inflamed membranes are unsympathetic to a dialectic. What do you do about food? I can always ring down to the restaurant if I want any later on. Huh. We live in a modern age, and this is a service flat. Yes, yes, of course. It um, caters for all tastes. You know, my dear Alec, you have hidden depths, which I never even suspected. Look here, Stephen, I'm... For heaven's sake, Alec, no explanations or apologies. I'm the one who should apologize for returning so inopportunely. It's quite obvious to me that you were interviewing a patient privately. Women are frequently rather neurotic creatures, and the hospital atmosphere is upsetting to them. By the rather undignified scuffling, which I heard when I came into the hall, I gather that she beat a hasty retreat down the back stairs. I'm surprised at this farcical streak in your nature, Alec. Such carryings on are quite unnecessary. After all, we've been friends for years, and I am the most broad-minded of men. I'm really very sorry, Stephen. I'm sure that the whole situation must seem inexpressibly vulgar to you. Actually, it isn't in the least. However, you're perfectly right. Explanations are unnecessary, particularly between old friends. I must go now. Very well. I'll collect my hat and coat. Goodbye. Perhaps you let me have my latchkey back. I only have two, and I'm so afraid of losing them. You'll know how absent-minded I am. You're very angry, aren't you? No, Alec, not angry. Just disappointed. I, I, I got the feeling like they weren't going to be hanging out very much after that. Like, that was kind of the end of their friendship. I, I agree. Uh, he couldn't get out of that. Trevor Howard couldn't get out of there fast enough because the guy was just, you know, very judgmental. Yeah, because uh, Alec had a key to the apartment and his friend asked him for the key back. And you don't do that unless you're, like, going to... That's kind of the, the end of that friendship, I think. 
Hey, I read something interesting that would help bring this into the modern time a little bit. If you imagine this movie taking place today, but instead of uh, a married man and a married woman, if it was two gay men who were who just happened to meet, maybe they didn't, maybe they weren't outwardly gay, but they they found each other in this situation and kind of had that connection, and then right. it kind of developed over time, just like in the movie. You, you you could probably imagine a little bit more the tension that people felt when they watched this movie in the 40s because there's there's less and less of it now for sure but still that that unfortunately that stigma around being openly gay in especially in some parts of the country or the world that stigma would have been in place between two married people trying to have an affair like that so that that kind of helped me as i thought about the drama and the tension of the movie to bring it to a place where I could understand it a little bit more because we're so inundated now in TV movies everywhere books of people having affairs. It's like no big deal. Everybody has affairs, you know, but back then this was like a really big deal. And, and a very conservative middle-class view of, uh, of, of those values. I uh, did read where they remade this movie I don't know if it was in the 80s or the 90s with, uh, I don't remember who it was now, but it didn't do well. It, it never really got off the ground. And it may have been that those 40 intervening years, things had changed so much that it didn't really connect with the audience like this one did. Okay, so after the show, uh, go look at the IMDb user reviews and go all the way to the very first page of reviews and they're all one stars people did not like this movie there's like this dichotomy between people giving it one star they just did not get it didn't did not like the movie and then people giving it you know 10 stars saying this is one of oh. the best movies ever made that really connected with the movie and i wouldn't be surprised if there was some kind of a age uh correlation between those ratings um but it it it's interesting that that such a simple movie could have such a div, div, diverse kind of effect on people when they watch it. I'll look at that when when we've uh, wrapped up today. I did not look at that one, but your point about how it would maybe translate to the modern moviegoer is a good one. I uh, also sort of liked the way the movie wrapped up when she was I don't know if she had been asleep or whatever, and then she and her husband. They hugged, and, and it seemed like, talk about an upbeat ending, and then the music came back in, and they all lived happily ever after. And he even said, her husband even said something like, Whatever your dream was, it wasn't a very happy one, was it? Is there anything I can do to help? Fred, you always help. You've been a long way away. Thank you for coming back to me. And I feel like he must have known at some level that something was going on. And, and maybe he didn't connect it to an affair. Maybe he just thought that she was ill or depressed or who knows. But, but there was that little scene where he knew that she was back with him. And and that yes. was kind of that upbeat ending to the movie that I think you're talking about. Uh, that's the one. 
that made me think also because Dr. Howard, uh, Dr. Harvey, Alec, uh, played by Trevor Howard, and Laura Jessen ran into people out on the town and or in the in the little refreshment bar and they always had to have a story about who he was and uh you know why they were out and i wondered if anybody else would have made that connection that huh you know i wonder who that was and that's kind of weird that they're out like that at the movies or or at the restaurant or if it was just so inconceivable that somebody would be having an affair that they just bought their story kind of without any question, you know? It leaves an open open question there. It may have been that somebody gossiped back and her husband got some wind of that as well, you know, because they lived in a smaller town outside of the city. So and people on the train they might have gossiped and But I did like I did like the fact that it wrapped up in that upbeat way and that that's kind of how a lot of those movies in the 40s ended. Not not the film noir ones, but ones love stories and that sort of thing. It reminded me of the ending of An Affair to Remember from 1957, I think, with Cary Grant and Deborah Carr, where it ends on this upbeat note after this tragic movie unfolded over an hour and a half. Well, that's another thing I was thinking of. That there's a lot of scenes in this movie that, are so cliche now, but I think at the time yes. that they weren't cliche. Like there was a scene where uh, she was on the train and he was standing on the platform and the train, or was it vice versa? I forget. I think she was on the train and the train kind of goes off and he's sort of like walking beside her as she's hanging out the window as the train is sort of, right. you know, going out of the station and, I mean that that scene's been remade in so many different movies, and I think it's even been in in some of those like airplane type movies where they're making fun of these cliche scenes. Uh, but I, I think at the time it was probably a pretty great scene. I mean, it, there's so many great scenes in the train station and with the trains and the the steam and the the smoke and kind of blowing through and and I really liked it. But it's funny now, you know, forty or more than 50 years later that those it's scenes scene. have just been cliche. You know? It's a scene that uh, David Lean reused in a movie that he made in 1955 called uh, Summertime with Catherine Hepburn and Rosano Brazzi, our actor from uh, South Pacific, where she's leaving on the train and he's, they had the, almost the same kind of thing. Yeah. It was going to be the end because she had found out that he had, I think was married and separated. It has a lot of similarity to that particular movie, but you're right. It, it does. It does show up a lot, which means it must have been thought of well by a lot of people that that uh, liked it. Well, I wonder, have we missed anything? I feel like there's. I, I think we've covered it. Uh, what was your rating for this on us on our ten point scale? Boy, I, I kind of struggled with the rating for this one because there's some parts I, I love the directing and the the acting is top notch and the cinematography is fantastic, and the music was just perfect, but I I just didn't connect with the story as much as some of the other movies. So I I I think I'd give it an eight out of ten. I don't think it's a ten. I I might go as high as a nine, but I'm I'm probably gonna stick with an eight. 
Wow, we, we saw it in the same way. I, I also gave it an 8 out of 10 for the uh, for the same reasons that you mentioned. So we're in agreement on that. But I, I would recommend that if someone has not seen it, that they would take a look at it. I think it's worth the uh, I think it's worth the viewing. Well, I think if and you're going to yeah, I think if you're going to try to do what we're doing and really watch a lot of classic movies, you've got to watch this one because it it does set up a lot of uh, dynamics and a lot of scenes and, and interactions that show up later in movies and TVs for from then on. I mean, I think it's kind of the first time that a lot of those uh, situations were really filmed in, in that way that, that David Lean did it. So I, I think it's a classic movie in that in that sense. I agree. Well, okay. That's our review of Brief Encounter. <laughs> and uh, our next uh, next up for our classic movie review is uh, Frankenstein. Frankenstein. The original Frankenstein from 1932, I think. 33, 31. With uh, Boris Karloff. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to going through that movie that's going to be fun and i i'm interested to do some comparisons to young frankenstein uh because the the next episode after frankenstein is going to be the bride of frankenstein and i think young frankenstein borrowed a lot from those two movies in particular especially and then, the hair especially the on, hair on the bride. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the maniacal scientist you know oh man and then we're going to wrap sure. that up with uh Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. So we're, we're going to be on a three-episode marathon of, of Frankenstein-related movies. Our rating, our viewership will either go much higher or... Much no. lower. I, will, <laughs> Depends on if you like Frankenstein or not. People like uh, Universal Movie Studio horror movies. Well, this has been fun, and I and I, I have to say I, I did I did really like the movie. Um, I think it's an eight or a nine. I'm going to stick with that, and uh, I, I do recommend people watch it. So, until uh, next time, this is Matt Johnson and Bob Johnson, and thank you for uh, listening in. Have a great week, everybody. There should be some good clips in there from uh, the movie. I can't wait to put that one in when she's talking about that lady on the train. <laughs> yes, that one, and then that that uh, apartment owner renter and his <laughs> yeah. and his his uh, I don't know what his holier than thou holier th yeah holier <laughs> than thou. What are you doing here, ruining my apartment? It's, it's funny because at first I I wasn't I wasn't sure if he was going to be like high fiving him, like hey, way to go, buddy. <laughs> What ended up happening was like, what, you know, you jerk, why would you, treat, you know, cheat on your wife like that? But, uh, yeah, I wasn't quite sure how that was going to play out. <laughs> uh, it's a good movie, though. I'm glad, I'm glad our listener recommended it because we might not have selected it on our own. No, I don't, I don't know if we would have. And I, I uh, picked up another movie uh, yesterday, which you'll appreciate. Hang on. Okay. Oh, the Maltese Falcon. Oh, yeah. man. On Blu-ray, no less. 
That, it was that, it was on sale for ten dollars. That is, we, we probably should do that one. We haven't done a Humphrey Bogart movie, have we? Let's do that one after uh, Abbott and Costello. He's he's he he's he's right up there as one of my top favorites for actors. Gregory Peck, Humphrey Bogart, Sidney Poitier. Yeah, right. H- have you watched it recently? Uh, I was going to watch it later tonight. I haven't watched it in a while. And what's interesting is this uh, has three audio versions of the movie, two featuring the original stars, plus another starring Edward G. Robinson, like radio adaptations of the of the movie. Oh, of the uh, probably the old Lux Radio Theater. Yeah, so I can't wait to listen to those, too. Sometime, I, I don't think we'd want to do a review of this because we'd drive ourselves crazy. But the movie, The Big Sleep from 1945 or 46, there's two versions of it, has the most convoluted plot with Humphrey Bogart and uh, Lauren Bacall. And every time I watch it, I have to read, I have to go back and read the book, the summary of the story, because it's so confusing. You told me that you've watched that movie about 20 times and you still don't know what's going on in the movie. (laughs) I, I, I do if I sit, if I immediately go and look it up in the book. Oh, okay. A synopsis of it. Yeah. But I guess even Raymond Chandler that wrote it, or Dashiell Hammond, I forget which one, did most of the screenplay when they were drinking. 